You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Probably have Burns, God, this is depressing, Burns, Hamid, and Milan... Hello and welcome to Rain Stop Play. I'm going to be filling in for Dan today on hosting because he simply cannot face the the fact that England have lost. So he's going to be having a break from the podcast for a while to uh, focus on his uh, newfound love of Birmingham Phoenix. <laughs> I, I, I'm joking. I'm sure he'll be back next week, but he uh, I, I, he's probably just playing golf today. So um, I'm joined by Glenn. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Thank you. Glad to be back on the pod. I found a a quiet room in the University of Iowa library as the Wi-Fi at home is being installed as we speak. So I'm I'm glad to be here. It's nice and empty. <laughs> lovely, lovely. And Will, how how are you doing today? Very good. I'm back in London and fresh from uh, getting to see day four of the Lord's Test, uh, which was wonderful. Um, and very, very excited uh, to talk about this and particularly to, uh, to see the anger and sadness from the England fans on today's podcast. So, but just before we start, we will get straight into it. But our, our fantasy league was doing has is very very popular. Will's head in hand straight away. <laughs> and, uh, we've ended up with forty eight people. I'm not sure how many of them are actually listeners to the pod. I'm sure a few are. Our listeners <laughs> seem very good at fantasy this year. And uh, yeah, so Glenn, Glenn, tell me about your week. You, you started pretty well, and and then Will 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 contrast that with how you did. Yeah, um, so I was really buzzing to talk about this on Saturday when I had a pretty decent day at the races. I think I was, I think I was on ninety odd points um, after the Saturday fixtures. So I was actually top of the league come Saturday night. I was absolutely buzzing about it. Managed to get Fernandez and Salah wasn't part of the Bruno movement on Twitter, which was pretty insufferable. So I kept Fernandez and he rewarded us all with a hat trick. Uh, differentials came off Greenwood to an extent's differential, got a goal. And I backed the Brentford boys with mixed success. Tony blanked, but could have had an assist for the second goal. He didn't touch it. Uh, and then I put in uh, Henry as well. Brentford's uh, fantastic flying wing back. And he rewarded me with a clean sheet. So I backed my team. And yeah, and then the turning point uh, was Sunday. I was absolutely miserable. I didn't have Antonio on my team. He was the one player I had fingers crossed. The only player in the entire weekend. I was like, please blank. I wanted to fit you in and I picked Mares instead. And he didn't blank. He got a goal, a couple of assists or something, but he did miss a penalty. So at the very least, what, what was still a big haul was softened slightly by him missing that pen. But happy, I think I stand. I dropped uh, 14 places on that Sunday without Antonio. Uh 
so I'm now equal, no, 16 places. I'm equally 16th, which is pretty, pretty frustrating after a good day, but I'm happy. It was a really fun weekend and I'm really looking forward to hearing Will defend his decisions in about five seconds. <laughs> the thing is, fundamentally, yes, as you say, there's about 48, 50 people in our league and I am rock bottom, uh, joint <laughs> rock bottom. Um, which at least, you know, I think it's unfair if one of us wins our own league. So I'm taking one for the team there. Um, no, look, it's, it's indefensible when you're that low in the table. I thought I was being clever. I'm sure I had a reason. I know I had a reason for leaving Bruno out. I wanted to get other people in and spread it a bit more. I thought, you know what? I think I'm traumatized from the start of last season where no one had had a proper preseason. It was COVID affected. So all the top teams had a struggle early doors. No one was particularly good. It was chaos results all over the place. And I thought that's going to happen again. United gets leads. Bruno's only trained for about four days. He's probably not going to do anything. I'll leave him out and get him in later on, um, which was a mistake. But I've done my, I've, I need, I've done big, big, big surgery for next week, <laughs> which will be equally catastrophic, I imagine. Oh, I also made the mistake of captaining Ian Acho on fr- up front, who did not even start. Um, which was my attempt at an early differential. didn't work. Uh, but I haven't learned from that lesson because I've made equally weird decisions for next week. So let's see how that goes. I think there could be a theme for our pod will be Will's diabolical fantasy decisions. And just for the listeners, Will, could you just let us know who you're joint bottom with? At the moment? <laughs> yes, we have a relationship double at the bottom of the league <laughs> table. It's myself and my girlfriend, joint 48th place. Um, so at least we can have our own little competition down there. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm mid table, 18th, but I'm, I'm I got 92 points, so I was really happy with it. But 18th in the league is not great. I'm just two points below, two points and two places below Glenn, and then Dan is flying high in second with 103 points. I'm sure he would have loved to have rubbed that in when he arrived. I mean, you know, it's a long way back from you for you from here, Will, but we believe Listen, you're gonna you have never to. Know. You never know. You I've, never I've know. Ca- I'll tell you what, I'll give you this this nugget for free in time for the next pod so I can be made fun of once again. I've captained Pogba against Southampton. So that's my that's my hope for a little rogue choice that might pull through. Glenn's shaking his head. No, absolutely it's not. Get absolutely not. <laughs> he gets injured. And we should probably uh, say congratulations to Rob uh, Barker with two dogs who is currently top of the table. So if you're listening, we hope you are. Congratulations. He's, he's not listening, but well done to him. He's not <laughs> Right, so let's let's get straight into what happened in these last five days that uh, is going to, you know, it's going to cause some, we may have some tears over the next half an hour talking about this. We're going to have some some joy from one side and some, some sadness from others. So we had a delayed start on the first day, which was which is weird in itself. And we were talking about it on the on the group chat about how there was just a rain cloud over Lords and nowhere else in the country so it was very confusing turning on at 11 o'clock and the not starting but yeah when we did get started India batted batted very well they made 364 after being put in by England in you know like I said gloomy conditions it looked like it was a day to bowl so 364 was very good Carol Rahul getting 129 after I said he was going to be tormented by England seamers this summer mm-hmm. Rohit also got 83 so that elusive away ton still evades him England did make a good recovery, though, because India were 276 for three at the end of day one. When England came out to bat, it was kind of, you know, business as usual. We fell to 23 for two, including a golden duck for our pod favourite, Haseeb Hamid. Two great partnerships did lead England back into the game. And, 
you know, we're managed by Root, who ended on 180 not out. We finished 391 all out with uh, with the last ball of day three. And uh, also good to note, Bearstow got his first 50 in since 2019, which was great to see him build on. He got two starts in the first test, and I think he would have been really frustrated with himself. So to see him get a 50 was nice. India then replied with 298 for eight declared, which included a brilliant match saving slash winning unbroken partnership of 89 between Shami and what's his average down 2.5 or probably not anymore <laughs> with that uh, 30 odd not out Bumra got it guided them from 209 for eight, which was a lead, which would have been a lead of 179 at that point to a lead of 270, which England never looked like they were, they weren't even trying to chase. England then needed to survive 60, 60-ish overs, I think it was, to save the game, and they failed miserably, falling to one for two, and then consistently losing wickets at the worst times. Bairstow just before T, Curran completing a king pair, and it it could have been so much worse if India had taken their catches. There was four drops in in this chase when England only managed to make not very many. India ended up winning by 151 runs, England 120 all out. It did look at one point like we might save the day with uh, Robinson and Butler digging in together for 12 overs. But then when they both fell uh, within successive overs, it was it was over very quickly. So that's that's how it went. So, Glenn, where do you think it started to go wrong for England? Because at, at one point, India were 276 for three, which which looks like it's not a great day for for England. But according to Crickviz's X score stat, that had that at 244 for nine from the first day, as in that's what their stats show they should have scored. So it's very good batting from India and potentially not actually that bad from England at that point. Where, where do you think it started to go wrong? I mean, it's, it's a great question. I mean, I think the, the, obviously the biggest turning point in this game was that sensational partnership between Shami and Boomer. I mean, there was no need for it to happen uh, from an England perspective, uh, as we'll get on to, as we discuss, as we go into further depth. It's, it was the emotion on the pitch. Like, a lot of commentators have said that. I think Root has basically said it was pretty much my fault. The fact they, to two people, as we've discussed in the pod before, with really quite laughably low batting averages, even just for people who, you know, who bat 10, 11, they were still quite actually quite low, you know, in the twos, threes, fours. But I think that was, you know, this this giant, giant turning point. But again, I do you look at you look at the um, England batting in the first innings, and once again, if you take away Root's runs, I mean that is that's a tiny total. <laughs> he scored 180 out of the 391 runs, only supported really by Bearstow. I think Burns. We'll get onto the openers again in in due course. I think Burns. It really frustrated me that he couldn't convert into a 50. I think that would have done a really uh, a lot of good for him um, to get that half century under his belt. But I mean, if you look at the um, the batting averages for England players this series, so Root with 386 runs is averaging 128, which is ridiculous. Bearstow um, is only the second batsman who averages higher than 21 in this series so far. He has 118 runs at 29.5. Then we have Moeen with his 40 at 20. And then obviously it completely drops off. You look at the openers, Sibley's averaging 14. Uh, Burns is averaging 16. Um, 
together they have actually uh, this year Sibley and Burns together have got more ducks than Alistair Cook managed in his entire career which is quite striking and I mean we could just sit here and reel off terrible stats all day but I mean the amount of ducks that our openers have had um, it was it was the first time we've ever had both openers dismissed for ducks in a home test um, Paul, I do feel for Curran. He was the first person to get a king pair at Lords for England. I mean, we just broke a lot of records that you obviously never want to be anywhere near. And as a cricket fan, you don't really want to see the opposition break these records because it's just really depressing. I mean, I, I, I'd like us to beat India, but it's just a bit miserable when everyone's playing this badly. And what you're really seeing is an exceptionally tight, motivated uh, skillful India team just realizing quite quickly into the series that England have a lot of fundamental problems. Batting is obviously a shambles, and then we didn't quite get it right in the field. Obviously, the roots lost his head with the captaincy, which is rare from him. Um, and the bowling was just a bit so so, it wasn't the worst bowling, especially in the first innings I've ever seen, but at the same time. It wasn't great. And the fact that Anderson didn't bowl for, what was it, 45 minutes in that spell where the tail enders were really just smashing it everywhere was just terrible. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, Zach, the turning point was the Shami Bumra partnership. But if you if you look further back in the game, the batting is still the fundamental weakness. Yeah, yeah, some great points in there. The bowling, like you say, wasn't the best, but it isn't. it's not the main problem right yeah. now. The bowling's not the main problem. And, you know, you look at, I look at the scorecard and you think, you know, Butler and Moeen in there, both got starts batting with root you think if, if you if you want to bat with anyone when you play for england you want to be batting with root at the moment now he's in amazing form and they both got 20 odd and it's what it's what Bairstow did in the last test as i alluded to in my intro and it's, it's just not quite good enough from anyone other than root and with the ball in the first innings it's it's anderson as per usual and it, it just does seem like business as usual for england with just relying on Root and Anderson. Will, any 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 general thoughts about England? You, you seem, you, you're pretty happy with, I mean, unsurprisingly with how the test went. You know, at the, the end of day four, it was, oh, in, either England are going to win or it's going to be a draw and India ended up winning, which I, I think seems to be quite a common theme with this India side. We're going to come on to India in a bit, but yeah. Any general thoughts about England? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with, with what Glenn said, that it, it was a kind of, it wonderfully exemplified what's so good about test cricket, because on the one hand, there are all of these structural flaws and, and you could look at the game as a whole and you'd say India bowled better than England bowled and they batted better than England batted and therefore they fairly won. On the other hand, there was that key turning point in the morning of day five without which India wouldn't have won and had England been able to not, frankly, completely collapse later that day, then they would have got a draw out of it. Um so it's sort of difficult to know where to start, really. But but I think that looking forward in the test, it's probably not helpful to overfocus on those turning point moments, even though they're a key part of the narrative of the game. And they are why India won it. If you want to change the things that led to those moments, it's the structural points that you've got to start with first. Um, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get your guys' thoughts on the England opening situation and, and selections in a minute. But I think that, fundamentally you've got to address that the fact that they didn't bat well enough or they didn't bowl well enough um i thought sam curran in particular exemplified the whole affair because he was disastrous with both i said in the group chat possibly harshly but not that harshly that it was one of the worst performances i've ever seen from an individual player bat and ball um and one of the other things that was really noticeable was if you compare 
the, in, the Indian opening bowlers to their third and fourth bowlers that came in, there was very little drop-off. They all bowled really, really well. Whereas it, with, with England, particularly in the first innings, it was noticeable that Robinson and Anderson were both taking wickets and kept it really tight. As soon as you dropped off to, um, to Wood and Curran, the economy rate just fell through the floor. Um, I think Curran was getting hit for four and over at one point, uh, or nearly that, 3.8, something like that. Wood not too far below. Um, and that was the real problem in, in the first innings. Fourth was a little bit more similar, but nobody was taking a wicket um, on, on day four until towards the end. So I think those are the things that really need a focus, even though, as we'll come on to, the big narrative turning point moments are a lot narrower. But if you want to address those things, you have to start from the top down. Yeah, one one way I found of looking at it, just thinking about this morning, is look at the India team right now. During this during this series, right now, for the next test, which of the England players would you take from England and move over to India? And I genuinely can't look past Root and Anderson. I don't know if there's another player in this England 11 for this test who, who played who played a couple of days ago. I can't, I'm looking at the 11 and I, I don't think there's anyone else apart from those two who has who 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 would improve the quality of the India team? What what do you reckon? I'm not 100 percent sure you'd take Anderson. That's an even I, better point. Uh, I, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I also wanted Will to really tell us how he was going to fit in Moeen into the India team, <laughs> <laughs> but that was that wasn't your point. That's what I was expecting your point to be. <laughs> I think even I would struggle with that one. It's it's Moeen head to head with Jadeja, isn't it? And probably Ravi wins that one. I think that really sums up basically where we're at in the sense that we are the, you know, we're the home team. England, uh, you know, notoriously pretty consistent at home in test matches. And we just, you know, we can, we can talk about the batting and we will have to stay with it for a little bit. But there's still, looking at this 11, I just don't see, I don't see that team cohesion. I don't see enough leaders in the team. Um, I think Root's captaincy was immensely disappointing. And, you know, maybe it is time to talk about, you know, the, the, the chirping on the field and India. They won the battle of wills. They won. They won the mental game. They, they, they won the physical game as well because they were just better at batting and bowling. But when it comes down to test cricket, you know, biggest cliche ever, it's called that because it's literally a test of everything. England came up short in pretty much every department. And as a fan, that is so frustrating to see just that lack of determination. And I know Steve Harmison was talking really well about it, comparing it to the Adelaide failure, the team he was in a few years ago in the Ashes when, you know, it all fell apart and the heads were lost and, you know, it, it just seemed like a bit of a black hole. He said it might not be as extreme as that right this second, but it's not far off from it. And, you know, as again, as an England fan, someone who's watched Test cricket for most of my life, there's just not any players I'm particularly excited to watch, probably except Joe Root and Anderson when he's moving it. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think just a couple points that it's interesting com to compare the two teams, you know, on the macro scale. One being that there's lots of interesting writing coming out at the moment after this test, talking about how Virat Kohli really stamps his personality and his influence on yep. the team from the tactics and the selection, but right through to just how the individuals behave on a cricket field. And I'm not sure, I'll leave this to you guys as England fans to judge, but I'm not sure whether you could say the same thing about Joe Root, even though he's been captain for quite a long time. Now. Like, What is his influence on the team? What, how does he want people yep. to behave and play? And related to that, the second thing that I think is noticeable is that both teams have a similar balance in a way, in that not all of their batsmen play in the same or even similar styles. They've got, they've got a mix. You've got your Pajara and Sibley, and you've got your Pant and Butlers. 
but on the India camp, even though, you know, there's always criticism whenever Pajara is out there for four hours not scoring any runs, there's always criticism from the stands and all of that sort of thing. But the Indians just seem a lot more secure in their differences. They play in different ways and they're, and they're very solid about it. Whereas, whereas every time Sibley has a Dom Sibley performance and then England don't win, there's panic, there's criticism on social media, there's fears that he's going to get immediately dropped and never be seen at a test again. And similarly, Butler and Bairstow, although to be fair, Bairstow's had a, had a much better series than probably lots of people would have expected. Definitely. But those two similarly seem capable of playing the more attacking style, but not quite confident that they want to do it or that they're not going to get judged for doing it. I think that's a really good point, Will. And seeing how free Rishabh Pant seems compared to some of, you know, England's, you know, they're not equivalents. There is no equivalent to the great Rishabh Pant. <laughs> but seeing how free he looks compared to them is so... is is so interesting. I think one thing in defensive route is if you look at this India team, I know it not throughout, but like a few members of this India team, you think of Rahane, Pajara, Rohit to a certain extent, and then, you know, Ishan, Shami, Bumrah, they've been around the team and have been not safe in the team. You know, they get rotated and moved around, not Rahane and Pajara really. They've been around the team and their spot is relatively secure and has been for the last few years. And how many players in the England team can you say are the same? I don't think anyone other than Root in that top seven's place is safe. I think at the moment, Butler and Bairstow's places are safe, but it's not because they're performing particularly well. Just out of sheer, who else is there? We can't change the whole team currently. So they're kind of sit they're gonna they're gonna be in the team well but best slightly less so when stokes comes back we obviously don't know when that is but butler at the moment there's a few little conversations going around about him but he's he's not he's not playing well but he's not playing as badly or notably as badly as sam curran dom sibley hasib hamid you know obviously you know first test he, he deserves more of a go but i do think it's a case of it's easier for coley to imprint on his team when he has some players who just have a bit more confidence in their in their ability and have a bit more confidence in their place. No, I think that's a really good point. I think that's a good way of looking at it. Well, and it got me thinking like over a couple of previous England captains, like I don't really know how to describe Cook and Strauss's kind of style. Right? They're similar to Root in the sense that they seem to, at least publicly, kind of just take it easy and just like do a lot of the management privately. I mean, the, the captain that comes to mind, the most similar one to Curly, is probably Vaughan. And obviously, Peterson tried and was a complete failure, as as we all know it would have been. But I think Vaughan is the is the closest to Cody in, in my memory. It's not recent memory. This is, you know, we're talking about a decade ago now, um, or but best part of. Um, so I think England have probably lacked that. I mean, in Ben Stokes, they have it to a degree. And that's why I think had we known, because a running joke uh, for the for the podcast team has been our dreadful um, predictions uh, for this for this test, some of which still can come true. Well, I, I do, obviously, they probably won't, but I know it is only, it is, it is only 1-0. I will try and find any ray of sunshine here. It is literally 1-0 at the minute. This is not a series that's finished by any means. The way we're talking about it, it could be 3 or 4-0. Um, but I think, had we known, that it was the day after we recorded that, that, that we knew that Stokes was 
taking time out for personal reasons, as he rightly should. But I think just the absence of that one figure who seems like, even though Root's the captain, sometimes you feel as a fan that Stokes is still driving this team, that his presence just really inspires and encourages England after that stunning summer of 2019 with the Ashes and obviously the World Cup final. He is just such a pivotal figure in this team. I think his absence is truly being felt. And I think it just shows that we've used Root and Anderson as bowlers as crutches. We've used Stokes uh, as a crutch to to have any kind of um, you know momentum from within the team in the dressing room. And we're basically finding out that the rest of the players, as much as I like them and they also obviously seem like decent people, there's another thing that Harmison said was that we need to be a bit nastier. You kind of touched on it there, Will, that we're just a bit of a nice, likable-ish team, obviously, apart from some of the <laughs> Robinson stuff, but we've obviously let that aside uh, moving forward. But... We are. This is a quite nice team. We all like the individuals, but the, it, where is just that the, the the clinical desire to win just seems to be a bit absent, and we just should not be getting bowled out in a final afternoon. That just shows a complete lack of determination and application of Test match skills, which India have shown us exactly how to bat. And I was thinking just before we went on air, I was like, oh well, the openers are having a tough time, but you know, opening is one of the hardest things in cricket. Look at the, uh, the India openers; they're not having a hard time of it. They're enjoying themselves. They're playing some of the best cricket of their career, you could say, um, in Test match level. So we can make excuses, you know, until the cows come home, but it's we're just not good enough at the minute, and that is the bottom line. I think it's a really good point. And, and you mentioned there some of the comparisons with previous test captains, but, you know, obviously a different format, but probably the most illustrative alternative case study would be Owen Morgan in terms of how do you yeah, be that kind of nice behind the scenes personality, but still imprint your personality and your tactics and the, all the rest of it onto your team. And that cutthroat nature is an important part of think about David Willey just getting rid of him before the World Cup and bringing in Joffrey Archer, who hadn't played for England before. Yep. That, you know, no offence to David Willey, but that, you know, potentially won us the World Cup on such a, you know, by the barest of margins. So just before we move on to India, I think we should uh, celebrate Joe Root a little bit more. I know we've, we've, we'll, we'll come on to the, the mental battle being lost, but he is only 500 runs away from the record in the calendar year. He's averaging 65 this year. And there's six more tests this series. Can he get to that record? Just pure maths would suggest yes. <laughs> as would gut instinct on form, as would the way and the confidence that he seems to have playing against all of these Indian bowlers. He doesn't doesn't seem like any of them have his number. Um, as does the game situation. They need him to score those runs if they're going to have any hope of winning. Um, and his captaincy as a reputation probably needs a good result uh, over the course of this summer. So. Yeah, I think he's probably got a very good chance. Yeah, again, I, I think you already read that. Well, like he, we were at the unfortunate uh, situation if, as England as a team where we're so reliant upon his runs that if he's not scoring these, if he's not getting close to this record-breaking target, we're not going to win the game. I don't see anyone else at the minute making... I mean, that 180, I think you're right to point out, again, Zach, to reiterate the quality of his batting in this series and obviously in this year. I think it's with the captaincy failures this game there's no other way to put it it's easy to look over this but the, as we said earlier this game would have been lost far before that on-field battle if he hadn't stepped up and got but what probably would have been if he if he literally had had people to bat with him he would have got a double hundred he ran out of partners he physically couldn't carry on he was he was literally not out so yeah he he's leading from the front and i can't even imagine my, my worry is you know he's going to get so much flack 
for the captaincy issues in this test. He is the person who's had to come up after playing this sensational performance with the bat. He's had to come up and apologize basically to fans, kind of what he did, and say, I got this wrong in the field, we got this wrong with the bowling, blah, blah, blah. When really, if if this team was more balanced and we weren't so reliant on this one man to captain us and to win the game in, on the field for us, he could actually have that space to enjoy his cricket a bit more. And I am a little bit nervous that there's going to be real pressure on him coming to his third test because his captaincy to an extent is being, parts of it being called into question. I still support him as a captain, obviously. I think he, I think despite that lack of ferociousness that you get with Cody, I still think he's a steady captain. I wouldn't, I'm certainly not calling for him to be replaced, but I do worry because if the pressure really affects his batting, which inevitably this series, it will, unless we win the next game and he gets a bit of support, inevitably it's going to affect his batting. That's my worry. That's what might prevent him from breaking this record. But if he keeps up the form that's purely on the field with the bat, I mean, it's sensational. And just what a player to watch. He's an elegant batsman. He he, he scores at a steady enough rate. You never feel like you're, he, he can take his time to get in. He can, I think he can match his batting to a game. He can speed up where it's needed and he can just get his bat on ball when it's needed. And he, he is honestly one of the one of the best test players in our lifetime, without a doubt, obviously, with him and Cook, you know, with the leading runs. And it is a pleasure to be around a fan when he's batting. It's just he needs support. We cannot say this enough on this podcast. He needs others to be there with him. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And it actually comes back to, I think, on one of the first podcasts I came on, we spoke about Root being in. He was in poor form then. He, he didn't. He, I don't think he scored a... He definitely didn't score a, a century at home last summer. It was... Yep. He was failing to failing to convert 50s. Don't... I don't think he even scored a century at home in the Ashes either. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't in the best of form during the Ashes in 2019. He had a couple of difficult years and there was a lot of talk of whether the captaincy was affecting him then. Yep. Yep. And he seems to have managed to, you know, get over that. He's in great form. You know, even the best players, they have, they have low periods of, uh, with runs. Virat Kohli at the moment hasn't scored a test century in a while, but, you know, is, is, is being supported by his team at the moment. So I, I, it, I just, you know, hope and pray that he doesn't have it doesn't it doesn't happen again that the captaincy gets to him. He you know, he could really do with some support, like you said, Glenn. Let's let's move on to talk about India, because it was a you know, it was a great performance by them. I, I like what you said about the form of their lives for Rahul and, and Rohit, and I think that's that's a great place to start because I think if you for me, if Rohit gets that first elusive test century for a man who averaged twenty-five outside of India before this before this series and has been brilliant. Kale Rahul as well. You know, he's he's had his his goes with test cricket. He's had his innings, but he's not consistently held down that place. I think this series, if they keep it up, I want to hear what you think about this, Will. I think it could go down as kind of career-defining series for them, for the both of them as openers. Without a doubt, and I think that they've really secured their, their positions there as that opening partnership. You've got in and around the squad for India now, these three alternative options, at least three, between Mayank, Prithvi Shaw and Shubman Gill would have played if he wasn't injured. Uh, but I think when you take everything into account, how well they play in India and out of India, their relative ages, their experiences, their styles and matching together, Rohit Sharma and Kale Rahul is the best opening partnership for India going forward. I think they've proved that now. And in two, three, four years, they'll hand over to Prithvi Shaw and Shubman Gill. I'm in very little doubt about that. The, the first-class records that both of those guys have at such an incredibly young age is, is generationally special. They'll get their chances at some point. But from where we are now, 
yeah, those guys have, have secured their places absolutely. And and as you as you said, it's a real shame that Rohit Sharma couldn't just kick on and get that 19 more runs for his century because he really deserved it. Because even in that opening partnership, you know, Kale Rahul's innings was fantastic, and and India wouldn't have even been in the game if he hadn't scored that because of what Joe Root did. Uh, but even when they were a partnership together, it was Sharma that was initially taking the initiative, scoring runs much more quickly, put the bowlers on the back foot. Kale Rahul was was kind of surviving for his first 50 to 100 balls and then really kicked on um so i think it's a it's a really effective partnership they're able to balance each other nicely you know take different take on different roles depending on the bowler so one could be aggressive one could step back a bit um so it's a really good partnership and, and i think it's one that's going to be successful over the rest of the series yeah because because so, so at the first fall of wicket just to you know show what you're talking about it was 126 for when that first wicket fell and rohit hit 83 of those I think, uh, and they'd faced, it was something like they'd, they'd both faced about, well, Rohit faced 145 balls. I think at that point, Rahul had faced about 100 balls as well and was on about was on about 40. So it had been going slow and letting Rohit do it. And then from there, like you say, Will, he, he came into his own. And it's, you know, they have secured themselves. I really like the point of giving these youngsters, because those youngsters both, have, like Shubman Gill and Prithvi Shaw, have amazing futures ahead of them like you say and there is there's no rush they're 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 generational talents their first half records are amazing and they're they're dipping their toes into the water of test cricket they've already had will put them in a fantastic position there's no pressure on them at the moment to come in if they come in for a test at the end of a series there's no pressure on them they've got you know they've got the record they've got the little bit of experience and they've also got the fact that there's two brilliant openers who they can learn from and you know they're, they're you know it's things are looking good for india for you know for quite a while now which is you know a bit of a contrast to to england can we can we have can we just have one of those top three bats <laughs> it will exactly and it, and it ties into what we the conversation we had around the australia series about the role of the India development team and touring and bringing those bowlers into the team over time. So they've all got some experience, dip their toes in the water, as you say, but then they're ready when they need to come in. And obviously you, you contrast that with the English approach, which is the sort of, oh, James Bracey's playing well, chuck him in at a position that he doesn't play and, and rinse and repeat, um, which obviously is, is a slightly unfair comparison in the decision making because it's also just a function of how many good talented young players India have um, but it is very pleasing to see that they're managing that and handling that in a, in a very proper and sensible way and, and really giving sustainability to the team going forward. Glenn quick question for you I, I want a number straight off the bat how many years are we away from India just sending their development squad to everyone and them just saving their first team for just a world 11 game versus India? <laughs> that thought is terrifying <laughs> i know but I, I you know it seems like it's like well if because india's developmental team could give england a good game at the moment india's developmental team beat australia in the winter if they can do that away from home then you know who needs what ferrat Kohli? just put your feet up save yourself for a world 11 game mate you know <laughs> No, I think it's what it does show is that, you know, they're just obviously we all know the depth of quality um, in this Indian team. And, and another point, you know, touching on that on that Bumrashami, uh, you know, explosion when they were smacking it everywhere was just before there was we, we, we may have mentioned it just before we went on air was the um, Pajara Rahane kind of looking a bit like they're back to their old selves. And it was strangely uh, i'm trying to find the right word it wasn't really it was like kind of the opposite of satisfying but i still liked it was watching pajara drop the anchor and 
just carry on and just just play his game. It was it was pure Pajara. It was 45 from 206. It is a shame he couldn't quite convert that into a 50. But for Rahane to hit that 61, um, that was the first time he's hit 50 in eight innings. And it's it's looked it's looked rocky for him recently. I think those two finding their feet and playing a really quite subtle but pivotal role, I would say, in that India second innings was a fantastic sign for them. I mean, will you, for you looking at this, like probably top five, six, is there anyone you're still worried about? Obviously, you know, a 60 and a 40 isn't enough to change a few months of bad form. That's not what I'm saying. But do those runs, those starts and that partnership, I think, being the key word, does that fill you with a bit more confidence going forward and regaining trust for those two for you? Maybe you never lost trust in them. Maybe it's just us being hypercritical. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, we didn't quite lose trust, but we did definitely say on the last on the last podcast that if there were any selection headaches for India, it was probably around those two. Yeah. Uh, potentially their yeah. place is starting to become into question. So it was really good to see that innings and, and both of their strengths highlighted, which is that they bring stability when an innings is starting to falter and they just reset, kick on, play proper test cricket. They, you know they're both going to stay there for a long time, but they can also you know score runs to, to give a proper platform to those that come after them. And those strengths really came out on the day. I want to talk about that partnership in particular and, and Pajara's role in it because I was there on day four when they would they had that long sleepy afternoon when not a whole lot of anything was happening and I'm curious almost what the kind of broadcaster's reaction to it was and what people were thinking on social media because within the ground people were getting very very restless about it not just the England fans who were very critical there was a bloke behind me who started. He started shouting abuse at Pajara, and then he got in an argument with the England, with the India fans next to him because he he thought that India were playing for a draw on the afternoon of day four, which was a disgrace. Uh, which shout out to that guy. Um, you were a little bit wrong, mate, weren't you? Um, but I think it was noticeable that, as I alluded to earlier, people like Pajara and Rahane, to a to a lesser extent, but similarly at times, were just very confident in playing their game, and they wouldn't. They were sort of. Regardless of the criticism coming externally, they were just doing what they thought was important at that part of the match. Even while people were saying, I don't see how this helps, given that we need to score runs and get towards the decoration. But we saw that it worked in the end. They were vindicated. And on the Pujara front, um, there's been this article going around a lot on Twitter by Ben Jones on Crickviz, which if anyone hasn't seen it, I highly recommend reading. Um, it's called Late Pujara, about his role in the India side and the skills that he brings to test cricket. And he makes the fantastic point, which I think played itself out perfectly in this game, that the, the, the very stonewally way that Pujara plays is in the end vindicated not by what he himself does. It's It's made a success or failure by what people who embody the direct opposite, the pants of the world, end up doing. He gives you the platform, and then he has to hand over to Pant Jadeja, or in this case, to Shami and Bumrah, uh, to score the runs that put you over the top. And I think that was a really good point, because he always comes under criticism for his innings itself, not putting India into a match-winning position. But that's not the point. It's not what he does in the team, or Rahane does in the team. But if you take them away... The rest of them can't function as a unit. Um, and I think we saw that perfectly played out in this test. And I couldn't rate their performances highly enough. I think that's a, that's a really good point. And it kind of gives me the same vibes as Joe Root during the 2019 cricket, like what, 50 over World Cup. Obviously, completely different pace, but it's faster scoring openers. You know, in that case, Roy and Bairstow. In this case, Rahul and Rohit Sharma, you know, consistently goes at, you know, more than a run every two balls at least. And then Coley's, you know, relatively fluently scoring it kind of, and Pajara can be the anchor like Root was so consistently for England in the 2019 World Cup. And without him, 
you know, it, it wouldn't be the same. It would all it would all fall apart. It kind of, you know, it's almost like what Joe Denley used to do for England as well. Joe Denley might be back soon. Oh, don't. I, I mean, I don't know how far away we are from that. <laughs> so, what do we think about what? I'm not sure who to go to on this. I'm happy to hear from. I want to hear from both of you. So, India during their first innings, particularly towards. England's first innings, sorry, towards the end, India were getting a bit aggressive with their bowling. There was some bouncers at, uh, at our our old man, Jimmy Anderson, and some no balls that were potentially intentional no balls. So we could bowl another bouncer at Jimmy Anderson, which that I'm not too much of a fan of. This led to lots of chirping from both sides, which, you know, culminated in that partnership where Joe Root decided to bowl bouncers at them because they'd bowl bouncers at our bowlers. It didn't work, as we've seen. And then it led to Robinson was getting a lot of chat when he was batting. I presume he's a very chirpy bowler. Was what uh, it was what Michael Vaughan was saying when I was listening to TMS at the time. Was we presume he gives it he gives it out a lot. Siraj was staring him down at times, giving him proper daggers. And overall, I'm a fan. I like it. You know, a little bit of this narrative building. We're two tests into a five test series. This could this could go somewhere. I want to see, you know, I don't. I was about to say, yeah, let's, let's have some let's have some proper attack. No, this is this is the limit. And I, the, 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 the umpires did deal with it well. There was I think you know, it started Anderson and Coley going at each other as well. That was that was early. And that was great as well. So what, what do you guys think about this? I know it, it kind of it verged on the. Let's get some demerit points out here, but didn't quite. What do we think about this? I love it. I love seeing aggression on the field. I love seeing players who are out there representing their country, being proud to do that. And especially for India, uh, I wish I could. It was, a, it was a wisdom piece I read about five in a row just before I uh, hopped on the pod. But there was one about, you know, Indian teams in the past, especially touring Indian teams, probably wouldn't have done this, may well not have done this. And it goes right back to what Will said about 10 minutes ago about Kohli really imbuing this Indian team with, you know, again, a sense of pride, a sense of we're the better team and we're going to show the hosts that we are the better team and we're going to beat them. And I think I might have said it on the last part, I can't remember, but I, I still think they're really, I wouldn't say reeling, but they're still frustrated that they didn't get the World Test Championship final. I think that might be a little bit apart this aggression. I think they were immensely frustrated to lose considering the amount of rain, blah, blah, blah. And it was probably still back themselves um, to beat New Zealand. Probably they would have just thought they were slightly better and they weren't on the on the six days. But I I just love seeing, uh, you know, a bit of a bit of spice, a bit of aggression. And, you know, I, I didn't see I didn't see um, on the screen the the Anderson stuff. So I can't speak to whether that may have crossed that invisible line or not. It sounded a bit brutal. But at the same time, I mean, you know, England, would would pretty much try to do the same thing with terrible, terrible consequences. And this goes right back to England losing this mental battle on the field because they were just, it was almost, it was quite um, immature. It was like, you have quotations hurt our older, better bowler, so we're going to do some damage to you. It's like the best damage you can do is win the test match. 
is to go one up in the series. I don't want to see Boomerah get concussed or have a broken arm. I mean, again, I, I'm a fan, not a player, but I don't think anyone wants the opposition to get genuinely injured because you can get, obviously, we've seen people die on the field, unfortunately, in recent years. That like, It's a dangerous sport, and we can forget that. And I don't think a sustained barrage of 90-mile-an-hour bounces at numbers 10 and 11 is particularly respectful for either side. A bit of aggressive bowling, I completely agree with, and you should, you know, rough up to an extent the the tail. But making making it this whole kind of theatrical showcase of oh we're gonna we're gonna do what they did to us, and then just being utterly humiliated by two players who can't really bat again. They've shown us they can, um, who previously haven't shown that they can bat very well. I mean, England just just got it wrong. And what was interesting is I think we put, I don't know if we were all watching yesterday, but I did notice that I think. Butler, when he was batting with Robinson, was basically saying to Coley, I th- my interpretation was, he's like, can you just stop getting in Robinson's face so much? That's how I read it. But at the same time, as you just said, Zach, Robinson was giving it large when we were bowling. So it felt a little bit, uh, a bit like England tried to dish it out and couldn't quite take it. That's That was my, that was how it felt to me. And they did not have the backbone. And not only did India win that battle, you know, mentally on the field, what have they done? They've won the test match. They've, they, they, they have the result. Uh, yes, to answer your question, I love it. I love some sub-narratives. Where that invisible line is, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Will, was it crossed at times? I'm not sure. I didn't see enough of the game. I saw it a couple of half days, so I, I can't speak for the Anderson stuff, but it, I love a bit of passion. But where is that invisible? I mean, what? Yeah, when does it get too much? Is it when someone's injured? Because I don't want Anderson or Bumra to end up with a broken elbow. That is not good for the sport. Yeah, I 100% agree with with everything you just said. Um, I think exactly that. It's some a little bit of it is great fun. It sets up narrative for the last three tests. You can tell there's a little bit of spice there going into the next game, which is nothing but good. But yeah, in attempt, when it starts to go from sort of extracurricular arguments to affecting what happens on the field which it did yes. for England on that fifth morning that's the point where number one you've already lost the mental battle because yeah. they're in your heads um Completely. I think the the attitude from from India and, and Boomer I think exemplifies this because he just smiles constantly both when he's bowling bouncers and when he's batting with them getting bowled at him he's just smiling all the time and so the attitude I kind of get from the Indian guys is it's not that deep we're throwing a few bounces in we're roughing you up a little bit whatever and the England guys just seem to let it get to their heads really really quickly Definitely. and if you react like that and then don't do your jobs and lose, it looks a bit embarrassing. So that's the only thing that I would say on the competitive front, that you really can't let it get in your heads in the way that they clearly did, because you just end up looking a bit pathetic. But yeah, I don't think any of it was actually particularly nasty. I didn't even get the vibe of it of sort of Australia in that game where they were bowling constant bounces at Pajara. I thought at that point it was a little bit nasty. I thought the bowlers were trying to hurt somebody. This time was really nothing like that. In the end, the England bowlers probably did the worst damage. You know, Boomer had to do two concussion tests in the space of about five minutes, which never happens to any of the England guys. Uh, but he didn't seem that fussed by it. He just kept hitting boundaries. So I think none of none of that stuff was actually particularly nasty. I think it just adds a little bit of spice going forward. Mohamed Siraj is unlikable. It has to be said. And I think, <laughs> and I think, don't get me wrong, I love him. And I think you need a bit of that in your team. He's one of those, you know, it's, it's the, the classic phrase. You know, he's... I don't know what we can say on this podcast, he's, but he, he's a bit of a bastard, but he's ours, you know. Um, <laughs> whereas I understand if, if the England fans start to really hate some of that and, and, and we get a little bit Australian-y, which you don't quite want to do. Um, but I think mainly it's basically it's fine, but when it disrupts your performance on the field, it's a problem. 
just a quick one. I have been defending Mohamed Siraj to everyone I've spoken to about the test match for the last five days because I love him. No matter what he does to England, I love Mohamed Siraj. Go on, Glenn, you had, uh, <laughs> you had some more thoughts on this. Yeah, just one thing, really. I think that's a really good comparison, Will, with the Australia test. I think, because that was one of our one of my favourite podcasts we've ever recorded were, were the ones we did during that series. Um, and I think the stat was that Pajara got hit about 12 times. I know he was into double figures, 10 to 12 times in that innings or across the test. And I remember him basically just like showing, in the, there was that, that photo in the dressing room of him showing the bruises. And that felt like, you know, a, it went beyond cricket into just like, this is basically, you know, it's... You're you're deliberately trying to injure this person. That is your that is your philosophy here. You know you can't get him out, so you want to get him out injured, knock him out, get him off the field any way you can. And yeah, well, I, again, from what I saw, I don't think that really was the case. It was a bit more. It was definitely more the camp of rough them up as opposed to literally injure this person, uh, which is certainly crossing crossing into the into the kind of cricket we don't no one really wants to see unless you're Australian, in which case you love it. Um, but I think, yeah, it was it was interesting. And one other point I wanted to say is what I loved about Bumrah was he still wanted the strike. You know, again, this is this is a guy who was, who's before this test, his average was two. It's worth reiterating that because it makes this even funnier um, that he wanted the strike against angry English bowlers. And yeah, again, two concussion tests in five minutes. I, I wouldn't want to be hit on the head with a word bouncer, whoever it was, to hit him a couple of times. That sounds absolutely horrible. But he just took it on the chin, quite literally took it on the helmet, and he just cracked on. And the more England tried, the the worse it got. And I didn't even realise till um, till we came on air that it was for for eight that they declared on. I th- so we didn't literally did not get either of them out, um, and didn't even have to go into the final batsman. I mean that is absolutely ridiculous. And the irony of everybody talking about how long this tale was, which on paper still is a ridiculously long Indian tale. For them to win the game, and again, this is this oversimplifies the entire five days. But for them to really pivot the momentum, at the very least, they 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 transformed the game in that hour or two. Uh, as numbers, you know, nine and ten, it was extraordinary. Um, but yeah, I, I like the aggression, uh, and I think it's going to carry on. I think it's going to carry on. But I just hope, again, you, you mentioned, you know, we can get some, we can get some villains. I don't mind an Indian villain or two for that's that's always Kohli for me. I never particularly like him, but we don't want it to get to that Australian level of nastiness from players or fans. I think it's worth reiterating that. A hundred percent, and I think unlike previous Indian sides this is one which will relish its role as a villain for the last three tests they're, they're perfectly happy to do that Definitely. but I think you also, you also make a great point in the in the way that the tail were batting perfectly happily and both wanted the strike and Mohammed Shami was really angry to be taken off with the declaration because he wanted yes. to keep going it was his highest ever score he was on for a century um, but to take it back to the kind of on-field aspect of all of that it's, it's another one of the things that Virat Kohli as a captain has been trying to to develop with absolutely no success up to this point, as we keep saying, Bumrah's average is terrible. Um, But it is one of the things after the sort of fitness and the discipline in the field, being able to bat in the tail and get you those extra 10, 20, 30 runs is something that he as a captain has been trying to install in them. And you could see from the way he was cheering from the balcony. He was absolutely absolutely loving it, not just because it was really funny and it helped the game situation, but I think because it it was proving a success that, yeah, you can play all your best bowlers and also, the tail won't be horrifically dragging you down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, combined with those two, those two players in that inning scored more than probably about half of. I don't have a stat to back this up, but you know that partnership was almost as much as England's entire batting performance on the final day, 
was 30 runs short and it was unbroken. It would it, it would have got there. Actually, I think you're right. Shami was on for a century there, 100%. And I would be annoyed if I was him. But, you know, they did need the overs. They didn't need the runs. They could have declared overnight. What do we think about that little declaration, eight balls after lunch? Because I thought they'd go in lunch, that's it. Like, was that a bit of mind games? Did he want the 270? What do you think was behind that? Well, I, I heard a great stat around this. Uh, how many other times has there been a declaration after lunch on the fifth day and a team go on to win? One. One other time. You're right. Well, you, I don't know if you listened to TMS <laughs> at the exact same time. That was the one. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, in, it was in Kandy in Sri Lanka. Uh, right, right at the beginning of Sri Lanka's test uh, history, uh, they they got defeated by New Zealand after New Zealand declared. But yes, the wow. only other time—that's the only other time that's happened. And it's interesting because it cost them the kind of eight balls after lunch cost them four overs of Huge the chase because you have to do two overs for the changeover, which you don't have to do if you declare at lunch. And they lost the fact they did it halfway through an over. There's absolutely no point in declaring halfway through an over because <laughs> you lose that over. It's always so stupid when teams do that. Yeah, I couldn't work it out, and that was that was the classic thing. Their method to the madness, who knows? <laughs> but it was it makes it again almost funnier the fact that they came out for eight balls. Then they're like, ah, now nah, we've got a chance of winning here, despite as you said, Zach, it happening once before in Test match history. Like that's that's the start I was I was clutching for earlier, but it, it just couldn't quite come to my head. Like England in this one game have smashed so many unwanted records. It must be four or five that we've, there's more, but that's the ones that we've picked up on mentioned on this pod. I mean, it is just absolute rubbish. And the fact that Coley could take them out after lunch and still feel to an extent confident, maybe, maybe optimistic might be the right word, but to an extent confident that they could still do this, that England's batting was so brittle, was so just unconfident and just, you know, looking like a bit of a mess, that they could give themselves not that many overs to bowl out a team that should be should be able to bat for goodness sake for a, basically two sessions. I mean, it's not a big ask from any coach player fan for you to bat for a couple of hours in conditions that weren't the worst ever. I mean, I think I watched about the second half of the day, but it was moving around quite a bit, obviously, and the bowling was world-class, but it wasn't enough happening. It wasn't like Ashwin was getting a ball to, you know, do absolute absolute bits and the pitch is breaking up. It was just pace, and English batsmen should be able to handle that for a couple of hours. And, yeah, it was an interesting point, though. I picked up on that, Will, and I couldn't quite think of an explanation, except it was a bit of a meme. <laughs> that was uh, my, my technical explanation for it. <laughs> Okay, so on to what is usually a big discussion at Rain Stop Play, and I think it's going to be a particularly big one today. Uh, selection. The next test is 25th of August. I'm luckily going to the fourth day. It's at Headingley. Going to the fourth day with my granddad, and that's going to be very exciting. And I hope England are still in the game by then. Uh, England's 11 for the game. Glenn, I'd, I'd love to hear you got an 11. I've got one from Twitter, which I think is hilarious. I think it might be a good place to start. So we've got uh, Ashes Burns, 2020 Sibley, Pakistan Crawley, 2021 Root, 2016 Johnny Bairstow, South Africa Pope, 2018 Butler, Lords Wokes, New Zealand Robinson, Subcontinent Leach, and 2010's Jimmy. <laughs> How do you follow that? I mean, it's so well thought out. It's a great tweet. Uh, I mean, I've, I again, I don't really know where to start here. I was trying to put an 11 together. 
was struggling. I think the the word on the street, as it were, is that Pope is expecting to come in. I think we're expecting Pope to come in. I was, do with that what you will. I wish I was excited. I'm not. This is this is the classic thing where we've we've talked about this since this pod has has been going, and it's not been going for a particularly long time. Uh, you know, we from the start of it, from its inception, we've been worried about the depth. Um, of test cricket in England, the quality of replacements. Now that's obviously filtered through with injuries and, and you know, personal off the field issues that are even our 11 it obviously isn't good enough. But basically, if if they were worthy of being in this team, they would already be there. There's a reason we have this pretty poor 11. Uh, one bright spark that um, that you mentioned, Zach, a little bit earlier uh, was potentially Wokes coming in. Uh, if he's fit, if he's ready, I, I don't know the extent of where he's at. I would love to see him in this team. Um, I mean, Leach would be interesting. It would be, I mean, it'd be probably, I don't know if that fixes anything, though, because, I mean, he's obviously not that particularly good a batter. I would probably keep Moeen because I think he did okay. His batting looked better than usual, perhaps. Um then you have the Hamid question. I mean, I think you've got to stick with him. I don't. I don't really see how you can do any good to a to a man who has gone through what he has. I mean, that shouldn't really be relevant, but for me, it is. I, I don't think you can just drop him after one game. I think that'd be incredibly disrespectful. So, I, I mean, Zach, who Sam Curran? I mean, Wokes for Curran would make a lot of sense for me. I don't know who Pope's coming in for. Uh, who who do you think, Zach? What would, what, I, I'm struggling a little bit because no, no one's really too sure who to drop anymore. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, I don't see Butler. I don't see Bearstow being dropped. He's I, been all right. You know, Pope Pope up to three is not is something I've been against since it was mentioned, which is probably before his Test debut. Um, I'm against it. He, he batted at three today for Surrey in the Roland One Day Cup and got a six ball duck with a ball swinging in. And that was a white ball swinging in. So good luck. I think one thing that comes to mind, and obviously we'll jump in on this as well, Burns and Sibley, is is it going to be Sibley drops out? He just takes a breather from, from, from frontline test cricket at the minute. You bring Hamid up to open. I'm not expecting this to work. Don't get me wrong. And then, we, I mean, I've heard that it would be Burns... Uh, Hamid and then Pope which just I don't think that's any better than what we've got right now that sounds dismal I mean Will you're, you're, you're absolutely I can see a sigh and you're literally clutching your head in despair I mean uh, what do you think if you envision for once Will in this test series that you don't want the weakest funniest England team put yourself in the England selector's shoes and think what do you do with this 11 because I mean, I think most cricket fans and probably the selectors at this point are just, we're running out of ideas. I think there's no way, no other way to say this. I feel really sorry for you having to support this lot because that opening three is a state. Like they, 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 they combined for nine runs between them in the second innings and the three that you just mentioned would probably manage to combine for less. Seven. Um, seven, <laughs> if that. If that. Um, yeah, the only thing I think has to happen is Hamid must stay because it's ridiculous to yep. bring somebody in after everything that he's gone through to get back to that position and drop them after one game. I just don't think you can do that. Uh, it wouldn't, you know, it's not it's it's not conducive to an atmosphere in which any professional cricketer can succeed if you're under that kind of selection pressure every single inning. So I think he has to stay. Would he be happier opening? Probably, and therefore Sibley might be the most natural one to drop out. Um, my my honest feeling on it is that they stick with exactly the same eleven, but probably Wokes comes in for Curran. 
Ooh, I heard that Wood, I saw something just before we came on air, that Wood might not be fit. If Wood isn't potentially fit, and that is correct, who who's who's the bowler coming in, Zach? Who, who's, who have we got left? Broad's injured for the series. Um, Does that mean so- that you just do Wokes for Wood and keep going? Oh, please, no. Christ, no. <laughs> Curran has to go. I'd, I'd rather have a half-fit Wood than Curran at this point. I think there's been a lot of talk on Somerset Twitter is what does Curran offer as a first-class cricketer that Overton doesn't, apart from not being, you know, potentially slightly questionable with his uh, uh, comments in the past? Uh, that That's it. That's That's the only thing that Curran offers over him his batting isn't better at the moment in Red Bull cricket isn't better than Overton's his bowling most certainly isn't I think Overton it's, I think he deserves a go because Overton can play and bat at eight Robinson can bat at eight both of them combined we bring Wokes back into the team if if yeah we bring Wokes back into the team Wokes goes at eight Robinson uh, Overton and, and then Anderson 11 we bat down to 10 what can go wrong? <laughs> Is it too late to give James Hildreth his his well-deserved call-up? He's smashing hundreds for fun in domestic cricket this year. I've never known him to look as in good nick as this summer. Does it matter that he's in his mid-30s? Potentially, potentially. Uh, but no, I mean, I, I obviously just like frustrations about that and joking aside. I mean, it... it it's just not a fun conversation to have because we, you know, we've just talked about it for what five minutes or so, and I don't think the team looks any better after the alterations that they may do. I don't don't think it looks worse. I don't think it looks better. I mean, I'd love to have Wokes on the team, and that is probably about it. We just don't have enough quality waiting in the wings, which is which is ridiculous, which really yeah. is in 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 England. Yeah, I've been having a look at a few of the top three kind of next cab off the rank players who you know james bracy was before this summer uh, r.i.p and uh we've got i think the, the, the top person who isn't getting mentioned as much as i think he probably should be his overall record's not amazing but his record over the last two years is pretty good is jake libby who last year scored 498 runs at 55 this year scored 798 at 61 his overall average is about 35 but that includes a few seasons where he wasn't settled at Notts and now he's settled at Worcestershire. He should also just play for Somerset because he was born in Devon and is from Cornwall. But what do we what do we think? I only ask this question to wind Glenn up and because because I've just remembered that immediately after the game finished, it was trending on Twitter the name David Milan. He's on my list. He's on the list. <laughs> The, the, the funny, funny thing is, so so I, I like the Libby shout, but I don't think I'd want to blood a player in the midst of this pretty catastrophic test. I think I think having some, I sometimes it's oversold. Test match experience has a reason that former test players probably aren't in this team anymore. But having that experience of being, especially especially as we've discussed, that the temperature of this series is rising. It's a really com- ultra competitive series, I'd say at this point. I, I wouldn't really want to throw someone on their debut in the third test match. I personally wouldn't want to do that, which means, and that's why I was waving my hand, I think Milan and Vince are the two names that are going through Twitter a little bit. I, I, I honestly, I probably wouldn't object to, to Milan coming in to try and steady the ship, potentially at three. You could probably have Burns, God, this is depressing, Burns, Hamid and Milan, and then you're into Root, Besto, Butler, Moeen, Wokes, whatever. I, that's probably the best 
probably the best of a bad situation is is Milan. That was probably where I'm at right now. God, how how oh, it's just Wait. horrible to think about it. Like the the fact that the fact that you have just said, God, this is depressing halfway through saying your best of the situation <laughs> at the moment. I mean it says it all. There's no need to add anything else. Have we fully been James Bracey? Because he only made his debut like yeah. two yeah, months ago. Not, and he's not but he's not opened, has he, yet for England? Or has he? No, I, 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 I see him as a, as a potential future number three, which I think he, he does bat number three sometimes for um, Gloucester as well when he takes the gloves, which is fair enough. Uh, Milan is getting a lot of attention. He does have an Ashes 100. His average in Australia is 42.5, which is better than Roots. Small, slightly smaller sample size. But, and I do think if he is going to be good in Australia and if he is going to get the chance it's not going to be he shouldn't just come back in for Australia having not played a test match his average in England is 20 in test cricket though and he's obviously famously not very good on the front foot which I think is quite important with uh, these Indian seamers you know if they if they keep going for the aggressive tactics he's quite good at pulling the ball but I think they probably would you know look at how he's batted and and just you know plug that gap you know Johnny Besto, Dad Milan. It's oh, not good. Do we even want to vaguely entertain the idea of picking up the phone and giving Alistair Cook a ring? I mean, I, I've said this. I've said this for ages. He, 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 sh- he should be in this team. <laughs> I feel sorry for him, though, because he seems to just be enjoying hitting loads of runs for Essex and doing a bit of commentary. And So actually, no, let's not entertain that idea. Even I'm done with that idea because... Enjoy yourself, Alistair. You've worked hard and you, you're you not my favourite commentator, but you're a lot better than, you know, some of the dross we get with uh, Kevin Peterson talking <laughs> about that. I mean, this is one thing, one thing we mentioned about Strauss's captaincy and one thing I will stand by forever now is Strauss was a better captain than any of us thought because we've seen how awful Graham Swan and Kevin Peterson are as people when they're commentators. Can you imagine dealing with both of them together in a dressing room? Sorry, completely off topic. Go on, Will. <laughs> it's a great point, and they both come across as complete snakes in that KP documentary for Sky. Um, I think the only way we can close this discussion is, is by telling our listeners that the expression on Glenn's face right now can only be described as complete horror. He's run out of the will to live. This is a man at serious depression at the State of England's top order. I'm actually, I just on it, I'm on cricket, I'm just looking at Milan's averages in test matches. It's just making me so sad. I just need to close this tab. <laughs> one one more person who uh, there's been a talk about recently, I, I actually would really rather he didn't because it would ruin him forever, is uh, Tom Abel. Been a lot of talk about him for a while. He does actually bat at three rather than us pet being an opener in who will just have to bat at three. He does actually bat at three. He's batted all across the order for Somerset and he he was injured until he's he's randomly in Birmingham Phoenix's team for tonight, which I'm a bit... Uh, Somerset announced it earlier that he's coming back from injury, and I was like, brilliant. Last quarterfinals next week. Ideal. But no, he's in he's in Birmingham Phoenix's team playing right now. So <laughs> it's a bit like... I, I, I had kind of completely forgotten he even played for Birmingham Phoenix. I thought he was a... I think because he was... I thought he was a Manchester Originals player, but that, that doesn't matter. I think because he was originally picked up by them and then they changed most of their squad. But yeah, he... You know, 635 runs this season at 63 and was injured, so played less games than a few of the rest of the guys who've got more runs than him. Good player. I, I worry that he's kind of in the Hildreth mould, though, that he's going to be kind of consistently 
talked about as the next guy and never quite make it. I do love him though. Glenn, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think he's 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 a good name to have, but I, again, I just wouldn't try and blood someone in the middle of the series. I don't think that's fair on them at this point. I think we've we've it, it is not it sucks. It, uh, there's no way around it, but I think we've just got to look at test match experience and think we're steadying the ship. It just it isn't a time where we're like, oh gosh, I I really miss the the discourse of oh, we can't keep playing Broad and Anderson together. We win too easy. We have to play other players. And now we're like scratching around for an 11 that doesn't look like a Sunday team when they bat. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty frustrating. Um, but <laughs> so I, I haven't got anything else to say on this. God, that discourse just was not that long ago. <sighs> any, uh, what about India, Will? Any, do you think there'll be any changes? The only selection headache, and it, and it is a genuine headache at this point because they've won a game, but it makes no sense that he's not in the team. Is Ashwin in or out? Yeah. Yep. Um. I think I thought at the start of the series that you know they they'd pick Janasia for the eleven, but that was basically one spot, and they just rotate them, um, throughout the matches. But Janasia's been so good. Yeah. I don't really see a need for that, so I'd probably stick with exactly the same eleven. Uh. But also, it's absolutely crazy that we're leaving Ashwin out of three tests in a row. So. But you can't drop any of the seamers. So I think it is what it is. Just looking at uh, Jaja's bowling, I know his batting's been consistent. It was a really tidy 40 in the first innings. He's been really tight with the bowling. In the first innings, his economy was 1.95. And although that's, he only bowled six overs in that, in that final innings, it, it was a very different situation. He did have the best economy of all the Indian bowlers in the second innings at 0.83. And again, different situation, small amount of overs. That's someone who's bowling well. I mean, he's going at less than a run over. I mean, this is someone who's doing his job. And you're spot on, Will. I can't believe that. Ashwin's not, you know, arguably uh, the best, uh, I think he is, the best spinner in the world at the moment, um, is not playing uh, against England, who notoriously, you know, we're not particularly good at spin historically. I think JJ has taken this role he, by the scruff of the neck. He's batting well, he's bowling brilliantly, and he's a world-class fielder, as we always forget. He's, he's just a fantastic player. And he has the kind of personality that would be fit quite handily. He's the kind of player that England need at the minute. A bit of charisma, a bit of a bit of bit of something about him. A, a really good attitude. So I agree. Well, I per, again, you, you've you've got the knowledge here, but I would probably just keep it the same. I don't see, think there's a need to force a change. Absolutely, and I think the only reason that you make that rotation is if you you judge up. Obviously, they're both all rounders, but Janaj is probably slightly better with the bat and a better fielder. So the only reason you make that rotation is if you feel you need more wickets from your spin position. 100%. And at the moment, they don't because the four seamers are getting all the wickets. Yeah, I mean, Glennie, are you saying that Jadeja makes things happen? <laughs> I don't want to say those words, but <laughs> we found out that Sam Curran doesn't make things happen this test, <laughs> so we can, we can move that label right. over. <laughs> he breaks records. But yeah, Jadeja, you're completely right. What, what more can you want from your spinner in English conditions who can bat, you know, hit 40 in the first innings, then bowls, 22 overs for 43 and also a lot of those overs were bowled at who a player who is arguably one of the best players of spin in world cricket at the moment joe Root, who you know is we saw what he was doing to sri lanka's spinners in the winter on spinning pitches for today just to be able to keep it that tight is is brilliant and yeah the only other selection thing to keep an eye on for India, neither of these two will come in for the next test or probably at all. Uh, but Prithvi Shaw and Surya Kumar have both finished their quarantine period and they are with the squad. Um, so if India find themselves 3-0 up going into a fifth test, that might be quite funny. Is is Hardik in the squad? Just to 
I, I kind of always never you, the India squad seems to be so much more of a myth than the England squad because there's just three of them. Be, there's, there's just players. Three of them. <laughs> yeah, there's three of them. They're in different continents. They're quarantining different. Exactly, continents. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Because he wasn't because he wasn't in those T20s, was he in Sri Lanka? I think he was in the squad, wasn't he, for this? Oh, okay. Uh, he's in the UAE eating out at a restaurant in a funny hat at the moment. <laughs> Of course um, he is. So he's okay, going to come and get hundreds uh, in a couple of days. Thinking, my only thinking about it was if they wanted to try and balance the side slightly differently with Ashwin in there instead of Jadeja, and then they drop what they drop one of the seamers for Harding. I don't see the point in them doing this. It's just you know it's another option they could do if they're three 0 up after four tests. <laughs> I mean, there's. This is a great game that we could play with our listeners on Twitter. There are there are many different banter lineups that India could field if they're freed up. I'd love to see that. T- just they they just play that T20 lineup from yep. Sri Lanka. Exactly. Ishan Kishan back in. Shikhar Darwin. Get everyone involved. Does so? Are we taking this? And listeners are probably taking this as we are we all assuming if we if we just scrap our nonsense series predictions. Next game, couple of days. A bit of a gap to the next one, as you said, but. Next game, are we are we all saying India win? I feel like that is probably probably the the judgment call. Zach, are you not? I'm there, and I'm going to watch England win out of nowhere on day four. In the final breaths of day four, they're going to win. <laughs> Loving the confidence. Yeah, you never know. I mean, we forget that even in that that third innings for India with the bat, the only batsman to score more than fifty was Rahane. So they they've got. They've got a problem in them, and and the, you know in England's first innings, obviously with Joe Root's incredible performance, otherwise they would have been a bit dodgy. But they still got nearly four hundred, so who knows? But yes, if we are talking predictions, I'd like to formally rescind the three-one <laughs> that I offered England and say that yes, India will probably win the next match. <laughs> so just to wrap up. We haven't had a chance to talk about the 100. We're going to have a, a review pod of the 100 once it's finished. But we've made our predictions last week of our top threes. And we are, we're at the point where we're pretty, I think the top threes are secured. There's two games to go and failing some weird net run rate things. I think it's almost sorted. So for the men's, we all agreed that Phoenix, Oval and Trent were all going to make it. And uh, the team that's made it to the final straight away wasn't predicted by any of us. This is classic. This is classic Mahela Jaya in his teams and the way he manages them in that they didn't start very well, but they make it to the final and they're going to win, aren't they? Like we, we did predict this at the start. So let's give ourselves some credit. We did. We said this and we, we, we faltered in our belief. We said right at the beginning, Southern Brave will definitely win one, if not both of the competitions. And we should have stuck with that prediction. Yeah, we should have stuck with that prediction. Birmingham Phoenix are in there. So we can be pretty happy with that because we all like Birmingham Phoenix. I think they're all kind of, you know, they're, they're everyone's second team and they're Dan's main team. Uh, Trent Rockets also have qualified. My boys and all the superchargers miss out. Uh, so do the Oval Invincibles, who we all predicted to make it. And uh, so, yeah, Glenn's boys, top of the league. Glenn, how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, we'll get into it in a second. But I think Southern Brave uh, collectively leading it for the men and women at the minute. I think it's, mm. uh, it's been great. And we, I th- I'm pretty sure we started atrociously. The, the the first couple of games I saw when I was back at, when I was still in England, we didn't look particularly good. And I've it's the first time I've seen the table in maybe a week or so. And it, 
really really good uh end to the end to the group stage um, for us i do want to do want to have a bit of a chuckle at london spirit who are really abysmal and have won one out of seven which i is that is pitiful that is really sad uh will i see you laughing (laughs) no i just think it's interesting that even though we entered this tournament with complete chaos with the you know players pulling out no one knows how to play a hundred tournament all this kind of stuff at the end of the day the top fours in the men's and women's are remarkably similar and in both we can laugh at welsh fire and london spirit because neither of them seem to have got a grip so strange isn't it that they've both managed to be terrible at both and then southern brave we did say at the start southern brave would be really good at both and the women's from the start have been really good and the men's you know have been terrible and then the women's so the women's it's uh southern brave over invincibles and birmingham phoenix and london spirit and wildfire are both playing each other in a double header tomorrow and i what's the point guys give up both teams are playing each other in double header unless london spirit women actually london spirit women if they get a mega a mega um, net run rate win, they can still go through. And I did actually, I put my neck on the line and predicted them to maybe sneak in the top three alongside the Northern Superchargers women because I just wanted to back my local team and they've also failed. So um, Dan and Will both went for Trent, Brave, Invincibles. And we've got Invincibles, Brave and Phoenix. So you're you're two out of three. I'm really happy for the Phoenix because the Phoenix started awfully but actually, and I, and I backed the Phoenix from the start because big fan of Shafali Verma, big fan of Izzy Wong. And so I'm really happy for them. And even though it was at the expense of my local team, the Northern Superchargers, come on the Birmingham Phoenix. I'd love them to win it. It was my it was my prediction for the women's tournament. So come on the Birmingham Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I remember we, we said on the previous podcast that Birmingham Phoenix women were somehow right rock bottom the bottom of the table even though we all kind of loved them and they seem to play well so I'm pleased that they've somehow scraped themselves up into that top three yeah is it is it time for prediction of overall winner now we and and where and Zach, just to just to remind our listeners where do we where do we go from here so we're going to wrap up the group stage and is it a finals day what's the what's the end to the tournament so the second and third place teams play off in a semi-final and that, I believe, is on Friday. Yeah, Friday, double header. And then on Saturday, the day after is the final. So the, the semi-final is at the Oval, which does give home advantage to the Invincibles. Will they be invincible at home is the question in the women's game. Obviously, in the men's game, they're not there. And then in the... <laughs> they're invincible in the, in the men's. <laughs> Very sure. much so. And then Saturday is at Lords, And obviously, um, London Spirit don't have a chance to, to get there. So, you know, London Spirit aren't going to have any home advantage. It's not really been a particularly happy hunting ground for them across the tournament. So they'll be happy not to have to play there again. At least this now makes sense with the test starting a week later because they've finally done a decent bit of scheduling so we will all actually pay attention and watch the 100 semi-final and final because there's nothing else on that is yeah my one question we truly truly doubt to do deep hundred discourse but just um almost just out of interest how with the test match being in full flow how have you two because for me it's been tough with time difference and streaming etc it's been a bit of a nightmare and i actually would have probably watched a bit of it if i could have a bit more at least how has it been for you two have you after a day of test cricket and obviously you've been you've been some of you have been there or just a day of watching it with work have you had the desire to stick the 100 on after? Has it felt like a clash? Have they felt like they should be separate? What's been, I'm just really intrigued as to what your takeaways have been with the scheduling, because that was one of our concerns early doors. 
I haven't had too much of a chance. That is partly because I was watching bits of West Indies Pakistan, which we haven't had a chance to talk about. Brilliant test match. Uh, would like to go into it in a bit more detail once the second test match has happened. I'm sure we can we can talk about it in a little bit more detail then um, because it was a fantastic test match going down to West Indies winning by one wicket and Kemar Roach being the kind of shepherd for the tail. And he, he did a great interview where he said, I'm not usually the one managing the tail. I am the tail. So yeah, I, 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 I kind of chose to watch that as it kind of developed into what was a classic test match rather than watching the 100. But I, I you know, I still watched bits and bobs but not not too much yeah i'm much the same I, just, I don't really have the spirit for it after a full day of test and then you sort of go about your life after that i was in the pub yesterday where they were showing uh, the oval game uh, where they were eliminated from the men's competition um which was quite entertaining and there was a couple people um around the pub who seemed to get into it and to be fair one of the people i was with did say the exact words i don't really watch test cricket but i'm enjoying the hundred so it's working with an audience somewhere. Um, but yeah, I think scheduling has been a massive problem, as we knew it would be. I just haven't really had a chance to watch any of it at the same time as trying to focus on a test, which is a real shame for it as a competition because we were kind of buzzing after the first few games. It, it had started really well. It probably would have maintained that momentum if the test squad didn't have to leave and the scheduling didn't clash. Yeah, completely agree. I think there's there's talk about, well, I, I, I don't know official talk about trying to source a, a window for the 100 it would be brilliant if they can do that if they can get more international players even better if they can if the bcci can sign some deal where they allow indian players that would be that would be next level i'd i'd change teams in an in an, in an instant for whoever rishabh pant plays for <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that will about wrap it up for today's podcast we had some great discourse in there thank you very much for joining me glenn Thank you so much. Good job hosting, Zach. I've really enjoyed this. And thank you, Will. Thank you very much. And I will see you next week for The 100 Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.